Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Well, in today's episode, we're going to be continuing our series on the Great Litany or the Litany of Peace, and we're going to be looking at the narrative trajectory of the Litany of Peace. Now, when we went through Psalm 103, it seems to lend itself to this idea of narrative, right? That you, Father Jeffrey, used the phrase setting the stage um, many times in that series that um, it's almost as if the stagehands are coming and putting putting different things on the stage to prepare us for this liturgical experience we're about to have. But in the Litany of Peace, we've seemed to have now jumped in, right? And in terms of petitions and prayers, this seems to be a bit tougher to figure out how this works kind of in a narrative way in, in the liturgy. Yeah, in some senses, um, you know, it is a slightly non-narrative mode to be in in this kind of uh, mode of kind of petitionary prayer or, or this kind of series of of petitions and so forth. But another way of thinking about it, if, if that opening psalm was setting the stage, if it was putting up the backdrop and setting out props and setting the kind of context for the whole activity of gathering in worship and, and being in that place before before God and uh, in in the in his Holy Spirit, in some senses, the the great litany or this litany of peace can be seen as the way that we relate to that scene, the way that we relate to to that and to the overall story, the overall context, and ultimately the overall, uh, you know, person who is both the author of all of that story as well as its main actor in human history. Right. So, uh, in some ways, you know, as we were talking about this extension of, you know in peace, in shalom, you know, through all of the, the dynamics of, of our activities in this world, of all of our circumstances, of all the environments in which we operate. It's about setting the relationship between us and what's going on in the overall story of God that we are entering into in our worship. Yeah, I, I feel that there's two things that I, I want to talk a little bit about today. One is that concept of shalom that you talked about in the earlier episode, and just fleshing that out a bit more. But the other one is that I feel that the Great Litany or the Litany of Peace also does stage setting, uh, similar uh, similar to Psalm 103, in that um, we sort of uh, the the petitions um, give us a context in which we can then place ourselves. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the ways in which the early litanies in our services developed, as we said, is is in the context of procession and of movement, of gathering, of of, of bringing together. And I mean, still today in our churches, um, you know, it's not uncommon that people are still in the process of physically gathering at this moment, right? You know, uh, people don't always tend to arrive ten minutes before the the service begins. So th there is there's still that almost that physical sense of coming together, bringing together. And what are we bringing? We are bringing our own 
narratives, our own stories, our own contexts, all, all of the, the, the stories and the plays and the scripts that we rehearse all through, through our lives. And those have all got to be somehow brought into relationship with what we are entering into, uh, both in terms of our relationship with God, with all of creation, with one another. And so, absolutely, it's a scene setting in the in the way that it's um, a kind of warming up for the kind of main, uh, you know, narrative action that's going to unfold in worship. Where you know, you know, the, the, the litany, the great litany, takes uh, a kind of common form um, across all of, of the services. But in fact, uh, you know, and, and we've we've emphasized that it doesn't have that kind of very particular, specific um, aspect of prayer that the the treble or fervent litany does, you know, later, although, you know, can, the, the history of that's complicated and, it, you know, one came out of, of the other in a way, but it, it's a more universal or general form of petitionary prayer. But nevertheless, there are times when in that great litany, there are specific things that are even set out, you know, that a baptism, for example, uh, you know, we pray specific things about the baptism or a blessing of water or some of the other sacraments and that sort of thing. So in a sense, that gives us a clue as to what is happening here. It's it's about as we come together, what we're bringing into this, how we gather that and capture it and bring it into relationship with the service and the scene that's a, that's being set for us, but also as a kind of warming us up for you know what's going to uh, unfold here. It it almost announces you know uh, overall stage directions, as it were, or you know the kind of um, you know, instructions for all of the actors, which we are within this play, this narrative. Of, of liturgy the litany of peace or the great litany is made up of these particular petitions of prayer that have come to us by various historical circumstances if you want to know more go back to one episode uh, but are do you see it as being important in say the context of vespers or the eucharistic liturgy not to insert other petitions in there. I know some books actually have at this point, you can, like, petitions can be added. I've seen that in certain liturgical books, even in the Great Litany. Um, so I'm just, yeah, wanting to get your take on um, how much flexibility is there on a service to service basis to actually insert new petitions within the context of the Great Litany. Yeah, I think the guideline for us would be kind of what happens in some other services. So, uh, as I say, in certain sacramental services, you have all of the petitions of, of the normal, you know, great synapti or, or litany of peace, great litany. But then you have added to that specific things relating to what's about to, to happen. So in a baptism, you're blessing the water and calling down the Holy Spirit to, to act within the water to crush the demons and the dragons and, and enable what's about to, to take place, to take place. So that's all that scene setting, the, the kind of context building that, that we've talked about there. So that's different, say, from the idea of, okay, here are the very particular names of the people we're going to pray for who are ill or who are recently departed or who are traveling or who are, you know, um, um, you know, pregnant and, and about to, 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 to bear a child, that sort of thing. All of those very particular, the naming of things that has always had a very particular place within our services, whether it's the liturgy of the hours like Vespers that we're talking about or within the Eucharistic liturgy, it always takes place, you know, after the kind of 
reading of of scriptures, the liturgy of the word, the the kind of uh, you know setting the, the the narrative in place, and then there's a particularity to our prayer where we can come before God and ask for very specific things. At, at this point, it's less in a way. Um, asking for things actually uh, and it's it's more about setting ourselves in the right relationship and dynamic you know with with god so if the opening psalm in vespers for example sets this ordered creation in which god continues to operate and care for all how then you know do we relate to that and in some senses actually we're not praying for things we're putting ourselves in relationship with what we know is already in place that ordered love and care and concern and uh you know ultimate purpose of all of creation so uh it, it's actually quite interesting that the gr the grammar of the prayers as in, in english we render that as four the word in greek is hyper um and it actually has a kind of a whole range of meanings but it's more like sort of su suggesting in the context of you know what we've just established god's ordered creation this shalom you know let us pray to the Lord. And then as we go forward, it, it's, you know, in relation to that, in, in, um, you know, about that rather than, you know, Lord, we're asking for this very particular right, you know, yeah. thing. So it, it's, again, it's, it's more about setting ourselves in relationship with what already is. God has already given this. God, our salvation is already enacted. We, you know, we talked about the opening psalm. We emphasize that, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the sort of interpretations that you get of, of Vespers is, well, this is kind of playing out of all of salvation history. We're going to set up things perfectly, and then there's going to be a fall be de depicted, and then there's salvation. In actual fact, the entirety of the service begins with salvation already rendered, already delivered, already accomplished. And so what has to happen is our own you know, coming into relationship and, and into the context of that salvation, receiving it. And so what we're doing is we're calling for this reality to be made manifest and, and present and, and, and then changing us in relationship with it so that we can then extend the shalom, the peace that we've proclaimed already is that ordered creation to all of the world and then we're going to go through all of these aspects all of these uh, narrative contexts in which we exist whether it's the church the civil authorities our homes our you know our crops and fields because we care about the weather too and we care about all the circumstances and situations of life and that's where we want everything to kind of come into harmony with what what already is right so it's not about you know a kind of plaintive asking at this point it's more about our recognition of what is yeah i think that could be a very tough thing to come to terms with sometimes that people perceive their spirituality as asking for things you don't have that's what prayer means right and uh, hearing you talk about that that Greek word and and in English we use the word for so for example for the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls right right but I, I wonder if the English word like towards might yeah. be an interesting alternative towards the peace from above or more right? complicated you know receiving in in fullness you know the peace from above because we know yeah. it's already been delivered i mean christ is god's shalom christ is our peace you know saint mm -hmm. paul says and so 
you know, we're not asking for something to happen that hasn't already happened. We have to recognize any sort of lack is on our part. It's our lack of repentance, right. our lack of awareness, our lack of openness to what God has already, you know, delivered. We're not trying to change God's mind. We're trying to change our mind. Yeah, and 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 ultimately, you know, there is a time when we do ask for things, and and we ask very specifically and fervently, and and so forth. But this should inform that as well, knowing that ultimately, yeah, it's not about turning God's mind towards our specific, you know, desires, but rather about conforming us to the will of God, which is ultimately in our best interests. Yeah, I know that Father Hopko makes a point in lots of his talks that uh, we we never ask for, for things in prayer unless we believe that God has already <laughs> given them. Yeah. Well, uh, like mer mercy and love and, and compassion. Well, precisely. And, and remember, the response to each of these petitions in the Great Litany, as in many, you know, litanies, is you know, Lord have mercy. And even that has to be understood as not, you know, you know, maybe you're thinking of doing something else, God, but I would really like you to be merciful, but rather it's a confession of faith in the God who is by nature, love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so it, when we say it's not plaintively or desperately, you know, it's with the fullness of hope and confidence and faith that that is us coming into line with what God wants us to see in him, which is love and mercy and, and care and compassion. And so when we say, help us, save us, have mercy on us, these are not desperate cries of someone lost. They are the cries of someone who says, I see in you, Lord, the caring creator of all, the one, as we've just sung so beautifully in Psalm, you know, 103, the, the, the one who has set everything in motion, but continues to, to engage with his creation in a loving way and is directing it all towards this kind of perfection and wholeness that, that we call shalom, the peace. Uh, we're going to get to that uh, peace thing in just a second, but I want to share a little anecdote, which is I went to a liturgy one time with my brother's wife's brother, and he's not Christian in any sense, didn't grow up in the church, nothing, not, not at all, barely ever been to church at all, and we went to a liturgy. And afterwards, his one comment was, why do you guys beg so desperately? Hmm. Right? Like, it, he perceived it as we think we are um somehow like lost mm -hmm. and an uh, unworthy or, or 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 all that and he and he saw the cries of lord have mercy help us save us protect us um as us calling upon a vengeful god to take a little bit of a little bit of mercy on these small human scum down below yeah um and yeah, it was, uh, and that's the first time that somebody had explained it like that to me. And I was like, uh, that's not what we do, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, but, uh, you know, if you ask a good number of Orthodox Christians, I don't think their interpretation would be terribly far away from from that one. It, 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 there is something that, you know, we receive, whether it's from our culture, our background, or just some our sort of fallen human nature, but, you know, this perception of who God is, right? But if we pay really close attention to the, the words and actions uh, of the liturgy, it's trying to tell us something really different about God, you know? Um, and very often, you know, the very psalms that are chosen and the hymns that are, are composed emphasize the character of God, which is 
utterly different from that one of the vengeful God that needs to be appeased or somehow placated and, and, and petitioned plaintively. Um, you know, God wants us to receive his love. You know, that is the overall thrust. And so by emphasizing as we do the love, the peace, the harmony, and so forth that God is calling us into, uh, and if we open our eyes, we should be able to see that as, as the reality. But it, it's it's difficult, and, and you know, as as pastors, as as spiritual directors, we're constantly up against that negative perception of who God is. You know, I often you know joke that you know most people's idea of God is you know how Santa Claus is portrayed, right? He's just this sort of old man, uh, off in a distance, snooping on everything that we do and making a mm-hmm. list of all the good things and all the bad things. And, and that's not far off most people's idea of, of what God is. And somehow you need to do just enough to tip over onto the good side so that, you know, you're rewarded rather than punished. But none of that has anything to do, you know, with, with, with God, um, as the scriptures, as the narrative of, of God's story, you know, portrays to us. And one of the interesting things I think about this litany and the way it's placed, you know, within Vespers, uh, you know, between this opening psalm of creation, and then, you know, we're going to talk about in, in future episodes, the, the cathismata, the, the, you know, the, the, the meditative reading of the, of the psalms and so forth. And there's going to be an awful lot there about Torah, about law about, you know, what God's will is for us and how we live in harmony. What does shalom look like in a community? Uh, so if we're recalling this, uh, calling ourselves into the context of that shalom, how do we actually live, you know, one with another? And in the Psalms, and as we'll, we'll go on to talk about, I mean, creation and the harmony of that and Torah, the law, the, 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 the way that the community lives in relationship with God, those are totally interrelated. And so even our idea of what law is, you know, as this sort of external, you know, weapon of, you know, analysis and investigation and justice and, 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 and holding people to account is not how the scriptures see law. Law is, is, you know, written in the heart, enables us to live according to the shalom of God. And so this litany kind of mediates between creation at the beginning of Vespers and then what we're going to go on and, and, and see, you know, we're going to sing, blessed is the man, you know, um, at, at Saturday Vespers and so forth. So, you know, it, it's an interesting kind of link between those two, um, aspects of of what shalom is all about the podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project for those interested we actively post new episodes on our private podcast this private space gives us the freedom to debate discuss and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. So we're going to now talk about exactly that shalom, peace, Irini. And we talked a bit about it in our first episode. And I think we're going to talk a lot about it again in the last episode of the Great uh, great Litany series um, in our Enacting the Kingdom. How, how do we bring the Great Litany out into the world? Sure. I think we're going to talk a lot about uh, peace uh, then. So here, consider this the chiastic center of our discussion on peace relative to the Great Litany. 
Um, so yeah, it seems that peace is the main theme of the litany of peace. The first three litanies being in peace, let us pray to the Lord for the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord for the peace of the whole world, mm -hmm. for the welfare of the holy churches of God and for the union of all, let us pray to the Lord. Yeah, and and it's implied thereafter. Even like all of the, as I say, this you know they're not asking for things that aren't already being offered, but you know setting ourselves in the context of that shalom. What does that then look like as it's extended concretely to? the church and, and not just the church as an abstract thing, right? As we mentioned last time, it's about the bishop that we, you know, we do name their names, you know, our, our main hierarchs uh, and then, you know, all the other clergy, all the people. So, and the people gathered here in this house, you know, who enter, we, we, we pray for, you know, civil authorities. We pray for, you know, the, the extension of, of, of shalom, of peace to every aspect of the, the circumstances in which we live, all the overlapping inter interlocking stories in which we we inhabit our our lives and um and then ultimately you know what are we doing at the end of that thing we're commending ourselves and one another to to towards the the end of our life towards that telos who is christ the author and and finisher uh perfecter of our faith the one who as i say saint paul calls our peace christ who is our peace and so the entire litany is about what does it look like when things are in harmony, when things are in, in shalom? And the whole concept, I mean, peace in English, uh, you know, has such a, you know, uh, reduced meaning often. You know, we talk about peace where there's an absence of kind of overt or, you know, uh, violent conflict. But it, it's such a richer, broader term in both the Hebrew, the shalom, and then Greek, as you mentioned, irini. Uh, you know, it, it's about it touches every aspect of our lives, of, of well-being, of health, of prosperity, even you know, um, of fairness, of justice. Um, there's a, in the Proverbs, I believe, you know, when they contrast, you know, in the marketplace um, scales that would be kind of you know, calibrated to be unfair, right? You can imagine things are being measured all of the time. So if you kind of fiddle with the scale to, to make them, you know, unjust or unfair, the opposite of that, uh, scales that are calibrated correctly are, are called uh, shalem. So they're peaceful scales, <laughs> which mm -hmm. means they bring harmony. They bring, you know, justice. It, it's fair. It's, it's, it, there's prosperity and well-being and health. And it's what God wants for us. You know, he doesn't want us to be fiddling the scales so that we, you know, rip each other off and manipulate each other and twist our relationships and, and so forth. He wants us to be living in accordance with his peace, with his shalom. It's such a rich, beautiful, beautiful term, which is why, you know, the, the, the Jewish custom to this day of wishing one another shalom, you know, as, as a greeting. And, and we retain that in our liturgy formally, you know, in those formal moments of peace be unto all. It's a rich, rich term. And, uh, you know, and with your spirit or, and also with you, depending on, on the translation. But in, in other words, we're, we're, we're wishing and hoping and, and orienting our lives towards that total well-being of all of creation. Uh, it's, it's quite marvelous. So in, in, the ter in terms of Vespers and in terms of the Great Litany or the Litany of Peace being, the, uh, being part of the stage setting for the entire Vespers service, uh, would you then say that peace or shalom is one of the main themes of the entire Vespers 
service? Beyond that, I mean, it's it's one of the themes of the scriptures, right? Um, it's one of it. It is the content of the kingdom of the age to come, right? And so, if all of our worship is designed to bring us into a fuller uh, participation and enacting of the kingdom, uh, which is be a great name for a podcast, wouldn't it? Um, you know, then absolutely, the content of the kingdom is shalom. You know, that is the way you describe how things are, you know, and it, it, it's poetic. It's when the lion lies down with the lamb, you know, which is unthinkable, you know, in current circumstances, right? And, and, and metaphorically, you know, lions and lambs in our lives interfere with one another all of the time. Um, when, you know, and that perfect depiction of the new heaven and the new earth that we get at the end, you know, of the scriptures, it's, it, that is what shalom you know, is all about. So indeed, yeah, the, the whole point of the Liturgy of the Hours, as well as Eucharistic liturgies, is to bring us into that experience, to receive it more fully each time so that we can then go out and, and experience that or spread it, extend it uh, to all of those very specific categories we have just enunciated, right? So you cannot go to church, worship God, experience you know, something of the kingdom, this content of shalom and, and mention all of these areas of life and all the stories that, 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 that are implied by that and go out and then, you know, go back to lions eating lambs or scales being tipped in, in our favor and, and ripping people off and that sort of thing. We should very, very concretely be able to extend that peace to all aspects of our lives. Now we're fallen and we're in that in-between. And so there is a always the already not yet dynamic of everything, right? So um, absolutely all has been accomplished, but not all has been, you know, mopped up yet. And in our lives, there's a real mopping up exercise and the whole spiritual life as we learn to repent more deeply and open ourselves more fully to the grace of God is about saying, okay, this week, today, here, now, from this moment, where is that shalom? You know, where can I learn to experience that more deeply? You know, is it, you know, with me and my spouse, me and my, my children, me and my coworkers or, or, or fellow students or whatever context, just the person in the street that I encounter, how can I make my life today a living, you know, shalom? Mm -hmm. So in Vespers, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting on the series uh, lo the Lord I've called Psalm, which is Psalm 140 in the Septuagint number, uh, 140, 141. Lord, I've cried to you, hear me, hear me, right? This call for uh, for the Lord to hear us in our, in our pit of despair, so to speak. Should we, should we even be taking that idea of shalom and stuff into the depths of those later Psalms and Vespers as well? those sort of cries of despair psalms? Yeah, well, if you go and look them up, you will now see just jumping off the page how often, uh, you know, Shalom does, you know, form the very basis of that, you know, desperate, not, it's not desperate, I mean, because ultimately, because it's directed towards God, it can never be desperate, but it seems like a despairing cry, but turns into a hopeful one, right? Because the prophets, the psalmist, the, you know, everybody, you know, who's involved in this, you know, narrative, uh, you know, project of the scriptures is, is aware of what God 
God's true nature is. I mean, the, the only reason we know we're in a pit of despair is we, is we can know otherwise. We have a way of comparing it, right? So, I mean, the person who lives their entire life in a pit has no experience of, of something other, right? You know, um, you know, it's like people who live on a, on a high plateau have no idea what, you know, what height they're, they're at. You have to have the valleys and the mountains in order to, to understand that the, the dynamic movement uh, of, of our lives from darkness to light, from depth to heights and, and, and so forth. But, but Shalom specifically is what the Psalms talk about, you know, both in terms of, you know, recognizing when it's not there, knowing to ask for it. And also, and this is telling as well, is calling out false versions of it. You know, we get this also in the prophet Jeremiah talks about, you know, the, those who say shalom, shalom, and it's nothing like, you know, so the prophets are often trying to say, you think you've got that. Because, I mean, everybody is is oriented towards some kind of prosperity, some kind of wholeness. I mean, no, why would you live and, and not try for that, right? But it's often the the kind of substitutes that we have for the real shalom that are the real danger, right? So, I mean, there's, there's genuine suffering and misery and nobody wants that and they want to be relieved from that. But where we settle for something that isn't shalom, you know, or we're content, the scales have been twisted um, or calibrated unfairly or whatever. I mean, that's often where the real problem lies, where we've, we've, accepted as a, a false substitute, something which isn't that shalom. So if you go back to the Psalms now, all of that, it's, it's, it's about trying to negotiate all of that and, and, and understand that the process moves on. This ongoing relationship God has with his creation continues, continues. And if we work with that, if we align ourselves with that, then that goal of total well-being of total prosperity, total harmony and, and communion in across human society and, and all of creation is achievable. And until it is, let us keep asking to be reoriented ourselves. And, and, and you know, so that's where that, you know, later Psalm in, in Vespers you know, comes in, into play. It's all about where we are needing to be re calibrated, reoriented towards the, the ultimate goal and not settle, you know, for all of these things that are false, broken, and ultimately, you know, uh, not in keeping with our true nature. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom. For bonus episodes and content, or if you'd simply like to see this show continue, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. See you next time.